right, everybody, good morning. Welcome. Uh, my name is David. I am the pastor. I have the great privilege of serving as the pastor at Redeemer, and I'm really glad to have you guys join us here this uh, early August Sunday as summer's wrapping up, as things are getting rolling. Um, all right, in downtown Copenhagen, and by Copenhagen, I mean Copenhagen, Denmark, there is a beautiful historic fountain called the Stork Fountain. And it's named after some of the things that are on it, right? The storks there, I think there's four of them that wrap around it. And it is a beloved fountain for Danes uh, all over the country, but especially in Copenhagen. It is in the city center, and it's kind of this historical landmark that was given as a gift uh, to a Danish prince in the 1800s. And people do stuff there and gather there. It's just kind of a fixture there in the city. And last year, word got out that uh, for some reason or another, the fountain was going to be demolished. It was going to be destroyed. Uh, there were some plans that the city had, and it no longer uh, was going to be able to be there. And so they were going to get rid of the fountain. As, this, as you might imagine, as things like this happen, uh, there were a number of people who were not super excited to hear that uh, the fountain was going to be destroyed. And one person got on Facebook and decided to really try to rally some folks up. He created a group called, uh, and translating into English, uh, uh, as I read the translation, I do not know uh, uh, how to speak Danish, but No to the Demolition of the Stork Fountain, right? He got on Facebook, made a group titled No to the Demolition of the Stork Fountain, and tried to rally people around the cause to save this thing. And... Uh, Basically, as, as, as sometimes happens on social media, he was pretty successful. The cause went viral. Within uh, a, a week, there were 10,000 people all over Facebook uh, forwarding this here, posting this there, joining the group, uh, getting their wishes known to not destroy the fountain. Within two weeks, there were 27,000 people in arms rallying, plastering social media uh, walls with uh, protests against the destroying of uh, the Stork Fountain. They did not want its demolition. And so here's what's really, really interesting about this, this whole thing. Um, it was all made up. There was no real intention to destroy this, the Stork Fountain. Uh, it actually would have been illegal. It was a Danish national uh, monument, and it, it couldn't have been removed. And what happened was a professor... Uh, at, at a university uh, there in Copenhagen named Anders Colgan uh, Jorgensen uh, studied, likes, is a psychologist and likes to study human behavior online, on social media. And so he, <laughs> he decided that he would uh, create this thing that was going to happen in the Facebook group and see what would happen. And had people read down in, in the details of the group a little further, they would have actually seen that it was an experiment. Uh, but they didn't, right? And so 27,000 people were up in arms on, on this cause. And what, what was Jorgensen interested in studying? Actually, it's something that he and other psychologists have termed uh, slacktivism. Slacktivism, which is uh, one of my new favorite words. It is a combination of slacker and activism, right? This is how slackers do activism. And uh, and uh, it was, it, it's really a word that's used to describe the kind of uh, activism that is a lot of talk and easy activism, but doesn't result in much actual real change. 
and that is actually what he was studying. Uh, the fact that although 27,000 people showed up to Facebook, right, in this group, it really actually wasn't leading to much real change at all. And, uh, and, 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 and that's what he wanted to see and kind of study and, um, and, and, and basically kind of show that there is this new form of activism that's really slacktivism, that is, that is all digital talk and no real physical actual difference. And, uh, and, and so one of the questions that Jorgensen and other uh, human behavior psychologists have, have asked is, why do we do this? Why do we slacktivate? Right? You see what I did there? Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and the reason uh, that we do it, according to him, is that it actually makes us feel good. Uh, we actually kind of deep down know that maybe this isn't making that big a difference, right? Like one post on Facebook. But uh, because we get to feel like we're standing up for a cause, uh, we feel good about ourselves. You know, one click, one forward, right? One post on social media, and we get a little dopamine hit to the brain that says, I did something. Or, uh, or we get to show those other people who are watching our behaviors on social media that we're a good person, right? We care, uh, we care about something. And, um, and, and, and so uh, that, that's why we do it. But as Jorgensen and I said before, in reality, it really doesn't make that big a difference. Slacktivism isn't really that helpful. Uh, and, and you know, I, it's interesting, I was thinking about this and thinking about how, well, this is a new term, like a new form that's, that's very new because it's enabled by social media, really. Uh, we've actually, for a long time, uh, recognized that there's a difference between saying something and doing something in society, right? Like, all of us have known that. We all know to kind of look uh, at that and kind of see through the transparency of people's talk and people's walk, right? And this is why there are uh, little sayings in our, our vernacular as Americans that kind of uh, parse this out and show that it's transparent. Like, I bet many of us said them on the playground as kids to one another or heard them said, or maybe it was said to us, right? You're going to talk the talk, man, but are you going to walk the walk, bro? You know, like, anybody ever heard that or say that? Right, here's another one. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is, right? We, we know these. You know, I was watching a, um, and we also know inherently to distrust people who will not, in what they're saying, put their money where their mouth is. I was watching a, uh, a television reporter, I think it was three weeks ago, and he was interviewing the representative from a company who produced, um, uh, who produced uh, a product. And they, the company's claim was that this product was actually, uh, it wasn't intended for human consumption, but it was safe for human consumption. Like if it got on you or you even drank it, ingested the stuff, you would be okay, right? And so the reporter said, really? Like you're gonna be okay if you do this? And the, the representative from the company said, yeah, it's safe. You're gonna be no ill, no major ill effects. And so the reporter goes back to his car <laughs> and grabs uh, a container of this stuff and puts it in a, in a cup and gives it to the person that from the company and says, well then, would you drink it, right? And as this person picked their jaw up off the ground, right, they kindly declined, right? Because they weren't willing to walk where they were talking, right? And, um, and it, I'm sure it didn't bode well for that country. You know who else, for that company. You know who else uh, all talk and not enough action doesn't bode well for? Christians, right? Um, 
how many times have, have Christian people uh, experienced the accusation that it's more talk than it is walk, right? Uh, I've heard it so many times. It's all just words. Uh, it's just like an assent to some intellectual ideas, but I'm not seeing people's lives changed, right? I, it's just a checking of a belief box. That's what Christianity is. I read a bumper sticker not too long ago uh, here in Houston that said, give a man a fish and you'll feed him for a day. Give him a religion, and he'll starve to death while praying for a fish, right? And there are plenty of people who, who look at Christianity and, and uh, say it's all talk and no substance. And let me, let me tell you, firstly, what I think a, a good Christian response is to that, is to say, yeah, sometimes that's true, right? To admit to some of the hypocrisy that is real, especially in stated, claimed Christian faith, and even, uh, frankly, in our own lives, a lot of times we aren't able to walk the walk that we want to, to, to believe and talk as Christian people. Um, uh, and, and I'm not saying that it's true. I'm just saying that there are times when it's true. And, uh, and, and I think part of the reason is because it's so easy to, to uh, assent to beliefs, to say Christian without actually um, having to do anything. We've made that very easy in our, in our world today, like on a national survey, when there's a census that goes out, how many people check the box uh, at when they say their religious affiliation, Christian? I believe it's still like 70% of Americans are checking that box, but it's not 70% of Americans that have lives that are transformed by the work and the relationship of Jesus that they have. And that is the marker of real Christian faith and that there is a real transformation that happens in who we are and who we become because we know and we trust and we follow Jesus, right? And that's the idea that I really want to explore and bear down on today as we continue in our series on the book of James. So this is the second week that we're into our series called Faith Works, and it is the book of James on how to live out your faith, really simple, practical ways, and it's an expository sermon series. And what that means is what we're doing is we actually started it last year in chapter one. We're picking it up in chapter two, and we're working through James verse by verse, kind of passage by passage, big idea by big idea. And, um, and man, uh, James speaks, and, and God speaks in this book. And, and one of the reasons I love these kind of series is because I think, I think the, the word of God is living and active, and if we're willing to let it live in our lives, it's got more than wants to change us by it. And so this is an opportunity for that to happen. And uh, this week, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of get into this idea we've been talking about and reading James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. If you brought your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there now. You can grab the one in front of your chairs or find it on your phone, but we're going to kind of move through it. And uh, in, in a second, we're going to pray. Let me also uh, invite you guys to uh, dinner and discussion. Last week, we started this. We gathered here at uh, 5 p.m., and we ate together, and uh, we talked about what we, what we talked in the message in James chapter 1. Actually, we had a great turnout last week. A lot of people, a lot of really good, fun discussion, digging deeper. And, uh, and I hope you guys can make it if you don't have anything going on. I'd love to uh, give you guys a chance to meet some folks that you don't know. So that's uh, partly why we did it. I hope you guys can come. Uh, let me pray, and we'll start reading uh, in the book of James. Lord Jesus, I, I want to thank you for these people and, and this church and this place and the way that you so often speak into our lives. 
how you so often, uh, when we have ears to hear, are, are ready to, to do something, to shift something, to move something, to open our eyes to something, to, to soften us in some way, to build us up in some way. And I pray all those things by the power of your spirit would happen in our lives today. Lord, I pray uh, that we would see you as you truly are, as our rock and our redeemer. Uh, and we would hear your, your voice through the book of James today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Uh, follow, you can follow along. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, Keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Okay, so there are really two major ideas as we work through this passage. And, uh, and I want to just kind of break them up and work through them. And the first one comes to us through uh, verses 14 through 20. And really what James is saying is there's a kind of faith, there's a kind of faith that doesn't work, right? That, 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 that doesn't work. There's a kind of faith that people say they have, that they, they think they have, that doesn't work. And by doesn't work, uh, as, as we read that passage, basically what James is saying, it's false, it's broken, it's bogus, right? It's not functional. We may think that it's worked, but if we bear down on it, we see that, that it doesn't work like it's supposed to. It's like uh, your four-year-old's electronic toy that he got two years ago, right? That's in a box somewhere, and every once in a while makes noise or partially lights up, but it ain't doing what it's supposed to be doing, right? That's the kind of faith that doesn't work like that toy doesn't work that James is talking about. And, uh, and he gives us three different ways that he kind of describes it. And, uh, and, and the first one I would call in verse 14 there's, there's a kind of faith that doesn't work that's an empty claim. There's a kind of faith that doesn't work that's an empty claim. And in verse 14, he says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Uh, and, and the key to really understanding verse 14 is this word claim, right? They claim to have faith, right? But James asks, is this the kind of faith that can save them, a faith that doesn't have any actions or deeds to back it up, right? And, and, and the word claim there is really important because 
a claim isn't something that's real. It's just a something that we're claiming, right? Like, like we make all kinds of claims, and a claim is, is still yet to be proven by what? By, by our actions, by what we see people do. Will you drink the cup full of this thing that you say is safe, right? And, and, and until it, it's proven, uh, really, claims are empty. They're hollow, right? Uh, it's like when your eight-year-old says, yeah, mom and dad, I cleaned my room, and you go upstairs to discover three socks have been moved, right? That's an empty claim, right? It's like, uh, it's like we, we know that until, uh, until we see some action, like from a lot of public figures in the run-up to next November, right? We've got claims, and they may very well be empty, right? And I know I'm jaded, but you guys are getting my point, all right? Right? Uh, I, I, I think what James is saying is there's a kind of faith that's claimed. But, but if it has no deeds, it, it's empty. There's nothing there. And it reminds me of something that a radio preacher, J. Vernon McGee, once said. He said this, I believe in the security of the believer and in the insecurity of the make-believer. And, uh, and I think that's what James is saying about in this first one. Faith without deeds is dead. It doesn't work. It's a checkbox. It's lip service. It's just a claim. Here's the second type of faith that doesn't work that James says, and it's false compassion false compassion. It comes to us in verses 15 and 16 where he says this, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it, right? So let me just clarify. Suppose a brother or sister, he's actually talking about Christians, another Christian there, the brother or sister in Christ, and the image is that like we're in church together and you know this person, and they're like, I have a need, and you say, and you, you know that you can do something about it, right? And you say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray for you, and then you just walk away, right? He's saying that's the kind of faith that doesn't work. And there's a story that I heard about, um, it's actually a, real, a true story about a church that was on the American frontier, a really tiny church, and a tornado went through the town, and uh, a family in the church's house got totally destroyed. And so later that night, they all gathered together um, to kind of uh, pray for this family and to see what they could do to help, help this family. And, uh, and while they were there, there was a, a lady there who uh, had probably a struggle with self-righteousness, and she saw a, um, a family there, uh, the mom and the kids, but the dad was missing. And she looked at the mom and said, you're here alone, right? Shouldn't your husband have come to the prayer meeting too? And, uh, and the husband um, was in a wagon uh, where, there, where the family had gathered clothes and food that they had for this family and was, and was praying, uh, said he couldn't make it but would get the stuff and bring it. And so he was very much doing what he was supposed to do. And uh, this lady didn't uh, know that. She had made some assumptions. And the wife very graciously responded, no, he couldn't come this evening. He's praying as he's bringing supplies in the wagon, right? And, um, you know, it just came, that story came to mind as I was thinking about James' point. Because, y'all, his point is not that prayer is bad or necessary or essential. He believes those things. He's told us to do those things before what he's saying, and it's supposed to be ridiculous, like to look at somebody who you know has a need that you could easily attend to and to say, I'll just pray for you. 
He's trying to make that be ridiculous so that we can see how, how, how much of a, a false compassion it is. And James's point, if you study the rest of the book, he, he fully believes that, that real true faith follows with real care for people that we can actually help, and we should, and, and it's a real compassion. And, and that's the second kind of faith that doesn't work, the, 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 the one that manifests itself in a, in a false compassion. Here's the third. Um, the last kind of faith that doesn't work is shallow conviction. That's how I describe it. And you see it in verses 18 and 19, and let me go ahead and read them. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds, says James. You believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe that and shudder, right? So uh, this is actually kind of a confusing uh, bit of scripture to try to understand because what James is doing when he says someone will say is he's kind of like interjecting uh, an argument that he's anticipating. And what, what, he's, what he's saying is somebody's going to make the argument that somebody's going to have this idea that, well, you know, I'm, I'm more inclined to, do, to, to have faith, to believe, and, and somebody else might be more inclined to do something, right? You have faith, I have deeds, right? It's really an argument that actually I think has a lot of truth to it from our natural wiring. Like we all just kind of have things that we're more inclined to do on our own. L like, like if you're on a team with somebody and you're trying to tackle something, somebody on that team is likely to be really good at the big picture thinking, where other people are likely to do pretty good at bearing down on the details, right? And we're all just wired to do that differently. Well, that's, that's the argument that James is putting in to say, well, you know, I just like to do stuff. I'm a deeds person. And another person says, I'm a faith person. And what does James say to that? You know, that's ridiculous is what he says. There isn't a faith that doesn't manifest or show itself in deeds. Uh, he's saying, he says, show me your faith without deeds, right, which isn't real, and I'm going to show you my faith by what I do, by the deeds that I had. Um, and, and, and really what he's, what, what he's arguing is that if, if that's your perspective, really what you have is a shallow conviction, right? You, you may say that you believe something, but, but it's not, there's no depth, there's no roots to that belief. You're really just ascending to some, to, to some idea. And the way that that really becomes more clear is in the next example that he gives, where he talks to us about things that have a right understanding of who God is, but do not act accordingly to that, un that knowledge, right? And what's the example he gives? Demons, right? Don't demons know who God is? Don't the, the forces of evil and wickedness know that this is a battle they're going to lose? and they shudder when they think about the power of God, right? But they believe the right things. And this is really, this is really the thing that, that James is trying to get us to see, that, that it's not just an intellectual ascent. There's, there's, a, there's a transformation that has to happen in our lives uh, for this to, to, to be real. And so let me tell you a corny joke. What do you get when you teach a demon calculus? A clever devil, right? Okay? Gosh, that was that corny that nobody even laughed. Uh, what do you get? Uh, th there's okay. This isn't funny, but it also illustrates the point. There's an evangelist called uh, D. L. Moody, and he he uh, was once talking about what he thought was required for people to to actually change, and uh, and he was I I don't know the context, but he said if you if you have a man 
who's stealing uh, railroad ties, nuts and bolts on a railroad track, right? And you, and you say, I'm going to reform this person. I'm going to send him to university and I'm going to send him to college, right? And you give him an education. What are they going to do when they get out of, out of university? What are they going to do? D.L. Moody said, what I've seen happen is they'll come back and they'll steal the whole darn train track, right? And the point he's making is that you've got, there's got to be a heart change, right? That there's got to be something that happens with our beliefs that then leads to a transformation of who you are. There's a saying you might have heard, but a mind that's changed against its will is of the same opinion still, right? And, and it's, really, it's really good. Uh, right actions won't follow until there's a right heart. And uh, James is just helping us see that loud and clear as this last example of faith that doesn't work. And so that's the first part. The second part, what James do, does, is he wants to show us examples of faith that does work. There's a kind of faith that does work, that is good, that, that does what it's supposed to do. And he, and he, and he, he does this by, by showing us actually this connection between how faith leads to works through the, through the lives of two Old Testament heroes uh, that we know, and that's uh, Abraham and Rahab. And let me read you the section about Abraham first, which says this, uh, verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did, right? And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, as he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So um, James is referencing uh, this very specific example from Abraham's life. And some of us may be familiar with it when he was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. Some of you may not. But in what, uh, let me describe it if, if you don't. This is probably one of the most culturally distant and confusing passages in all the Bible, but one of the most important because it's one that Israelites look back on as being one of the most incredible examples of faith. And what happened was Abraham, who was given this son as a gift and a promise of God and who loves this son Isaac, is asked at one point uh, by God to go and, and sacrifice him uh, on an altar. And Abraham doesn't fully understand what's going on. He doesn't know why God is going to ask him to do this. But as we read the Bible, what we do know is that Abraham trusts in the goodness and provision of God so much so that he was willing to, to take Isaac up that mountain and to tie him up and, and, and even raise the knife. And in that last moment, uh, God, God speaks and he proves his goodness and that he's going to provide uh, and, and it shows that he's not like the other guys, gods at that time. And, and, and what that has become, it, it, not just for uh, the, the Jewish faith, but also Christians alike, is one of the most incredible examples of faith and trust in God that there is. It is, it is the pinnacle example of faith. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's one that, that, that they look to. And, and it's one now that James is saying, look at what, what Abraham did because of his faith. It was his faith that led him to trust God to this degree, his faith had these actions that followed it. And there's really two things in these verses that, that, that stick out to me when I read them. And, and the first comes to us in uh, the first part of verse 22, which says this, Abra you, you see that his faith, Abraham's faith and his actions were working together, 
like his faith and his actions were working together. So often when we have this conversation, we think that they're working against, like faith is different than works. Like there's this really complex uh, relationship where one, you, you know, we're saved by faith alone and not by works is something the Bible says. Here, uh, what James is doing is, is clarifying how he understands this for us, saying what, it's not faith versus works, it's faith and works. There's like a synergy that happens in our believing and our doing that follows, or our doing because we believe. Uh, it, it, it works together like two wheels on a bicycle that move us towards the, the goal where we want to go. Faith and works uh, are, are coming together. Um, and, and that's really the first thing that I think is important to catch there. Secondly, it's this phrase that I think is really helpful where in, the, in the second one uh, where he says, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Sorry, complete should have been highlighted there as well. His faith was made complete by what he did. And so, so James is talking about the right kind of faith now, right? And he's saying there's something about faith that is, that is completed, that is finished, that comes fully together when, when there's works that happen, happen alongside it, with it, and working together faith and works. There, there, he's also saying, uh, conversely, that without works, there's something incomplete, right? And uh, just to kind of help this burn into your mind, um, you know what came to my mind when I thought about uh, faith being made complete by works is actually Jerry Maguire. And um, that, that scene at the end of the movie where Tom Cruise says to Renee Zellweger, you complete me, right? He's profoundly incomplete without Renee, right? Well, here, this will help you remember. Uh, that's what faith said to works. You complete me, okay? You got it? All right. <laughs> All right. Verse 25, uh, James takes us to Rahab. I'm so glad you guys laughed at that. Um, uh, let me read it. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. And, and, and so you've had this huge honored patriarch of Judaism in Abraham. And now you get somebody who's part of the story who's not seen in the same way, uh, but who is also, James saying, an incredible example of faith. He's saying, look at Rahab. Even her, the prostitute, showed faith. And how did she do that? Well, if you're not familiar with the story, Rahab was uh, this broken lady in this broken place. And when the Israelite spies came to take and, and scope out Jericho, the city that they were going to take, she saw and believed that they came from the one true living God, and she, she protected them, and she cast her lot with them. And she said, when they leave, have mercy on me and my family. And when they came back and took the city, her family and her were spared. They had mercy on them. And, uh, and, and the point James is making is, what saved Rahab? Her actions where she was willing to hide those spies and, and her belief that, that God, this was the one true God, and her actions that therefore followed it. He's saying faith is always finished with works. It's made complete. And, uh, and, and that, that's, that's the point he's, he's making. All right, let's bring this home. How do we apply what we've, what we've learned here to our lives? What do we do with it? And, um, <clears throat> you know, there's a, a verse in 2 Corinthians 13.5 which says this. Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourself. 
Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail to detect. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of a tough verse to read. It's kind of like an eye-opening uh, verse. It's not the only one in the Bible like this where, where actually the writers, where Jesus encourages us to look at our, at our hearts and minds to examine our faith. And, uh, and, and I think in this passage particularly, we're given one of the clearest answers about what genuine faith looks like. If, you, if a person was saying, I want to know if my faith is real, James gives us a very simple, real answer. Do you see works? Do you see evidence of faith in your life? Right? I, I mean, I think one of the simplest pers- things we can do to see if our faith is real is do a, a life audit to like look at different aspects of my life, right? And say, uh, is, is my faith in Jesus showing up in real, tangible ways, right? In my calendar, in my character, in my decision-making, in my priorities, is there faith that's working in those things? What are the actions that I see in me, in my life, that, that, fo- that follow faith? And what James is saying, clear as day, is that if there are not works, you don't have a functional faith, right? And I don't want to be scared to, to tell you what the Bible's saying right there. I think that is one of the simplest, easiest takeaways. Um, here's the second thing I want to say. Uh, I think there's a temptation when we hear a verse like this, a passage like this, to, and especially if we feel like, man, I'm not doing enough, to, to respond by wanting to do something, to say, I need to be more active in my faith, Self, you need to be a better Christian, right? You need to start going out and serving the poor and reading your Bible every day, right? It's part of our American uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. Dig yourself out of that hole, right? Um, and and let, me, let me say uh, that I, I really do think reading your Bible and praying and serving the poor is absolutely things that Christians do. But I want you to be a little careful with that kind of instinct in a lot of us. Um, because I think if that's what we follow, we haven't heard what James said. Right? Because he, here's the thing. If James is saying, if you look at your life, if, if we look at a person that claims to have faith and they don't have works, what's the problem there? Is the problem that, that, that the works are missing? Is that the fundamental issue? Partly the issue, right? But where do those works come from? From our faith. They're the result of faith. And so the problem isn't fundamentally the lack of works. The problem is fundamentally something that's not fully there in our faith, right? That there's something not working about our faith. And so what we need to do is not think that we're going to fix this by working out of it. That would be works righteousness. It was thinking you could save yourself. You cannot, right? Here's the thing, what, what we've got to do is have more faith in the provision and power and goodness of God in our lives that we can trust him to actually show up and be real. The question is, how do I increase my faith? How does faith get more real in my life, right? And, uh, and, and, and that, that's the, the thing that we need to do and ask if it's not quite there. And, and, and I, I would, if that's where you find yourself, I would just offer one, one thought there make some space for God to show up in your life then. Like if there's a living, active, real God in, that, that wants to know you and lead you and, and love you in the greatest, fullest way, make some room for God to be able to do that. I, I heard a, a testimony 
actually secondhand this week of a person who was kind of in, in their own journey of faith and was, was not out, wasn't not a Christian, but not in all the way, not fully there in, in their faith and, and in where they knew that they really felt like they should be. And, and they were just kind of wrestling through this. What do I do? Why don't I want to even be there? And, uh, and, and one night while they were working through this, they were uh, actually literally on the top of a mountain and praying to God, you know, God, I, I know where I'm at. Would you please show up? Would you, would you show yourself to me in some way? Would you give me a sign? Would you show a shooting star? Would you do something to let me know that you're real? And she actually said those words, shooting star, in her mind and looked up. And sure enough, there in the sky were shooting stars, <laughs> right? Right in front of her face. And, uh, and for her, that moment was one where God said to her, I am real. I am here. You can trust me. And, and little by little, day by day, she started to give her life to God and trust him in a greater way than she ever had before. And it totally transformed who she was. She now has a life that very much deeds match her faith. And, 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 and what I would say is, man, I don't know that, I know that God doesn't always answer our prayers and our hopes immediately like that. That has not been the majority of David's experience either, okay? Uh, but here's the thing that I do know out of my own experience. God has shown up. I might have to work at it. I might have to pray through it. I might have to open my mind, but every single time God shows up. And so if you can make space and have the courage to pray that prayer, I fully and completely believe God will increase your faith by showing you that he's real and he loves you and you can trust him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are Lord of this world. Lord, I'm praying that you would be Lord of our lives. I'm praying that we would have more faith, that we would trust you, that we would follow you, that we would want to be more like you, that we would see you as the hope of the world and the hope of our lives and the greatest hope of our hearts. And and Jesus, I, I thank you that you have done so much work making so many of us new, uh, leading us on a journey of faith. I thank you that you continue to pull us forward. And Lord, I just pray if anybody here this morning is still working through some of these things, you continue to work with them, that you show yourself to be real and trusted, Lord, and, and, and you would just continue to pour out your love and grace in Jesus.